Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. John, I think we have a great show lined up for today, as usual. You know, we're going to start off talking about the seven retirement myths. I mean, these are things that people believe about retirement in their heart. They may not express them, you know, and so, but these are myths. These are things that will derail your retirement. So you need to pay attention to this if you're planning for retirement. And we're going to uh, follow that up with a discussion of the the markets and how um, it's impossible to time the markets. We hear people saying, hey, I've got a feeling that... Um, you know, the markets are going to go down. Well, nobody knows. And having a feeling you're, you're using emotions to make your decisions. I mean, there have literally, literally been hundreds of shocks um, over the last couple of years that have turned into relatively few crises that have hit you know the markets. Now, there are things that do obviously affect the markets, but a lot of times they're short term. And um, we're going to kind of dive into some of the details on that. Yeah, these are interesting because we hear about these all the time. People are concerned and they use it for a reason for not investing or whatever. So uh, it'll be interesting to dig into these and find out the truth about some of these risks that are out there. Um, and by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 23 years experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. We have a link to all the podcasts. I uh, have quite a few of them out there now. That We've been doing this for about five, maybe six years now. Long time and um, covered a lot of different topics. Uh, we also have a lot of tools on the website, moneymd.net. Facebook page, we put a uh, prescription of the week out there, video, and uh, yep. we're tweeting on a on a daily basis. So so go go check us out. Yeah, absolutely. We'd also love to hear from you. So you can link to us on our website, moneymd.net, where you can email us your questions, or you can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. I do have a, um, one, one note. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't say that college football starts tomorrow. It is coming right up. You're right. It's going to be a big deal. Yeah. I mean, we're playing like Furman, I think. <sighs> yeah. It's going to be a tough start. Uh, Carolina will, there's a 100% chance Carolina will win because they're uh, playing Coastal Carolina. Oh, there you go. So one of the Carolinas are going to win. One Carolina is going to win. You got that right. Yeah. I mean, they may not be a pushover. I don't know. I don't yeah, know how they, what kind of team they we're have. We're favored by 30 points, but there you go. Georgia's okay. going to win. Tech's going to win. So it'll be a good week for the CSRA yeah, teams. Yeah, it'll be kind of a warm up. So it should be an exciting time, exciting football season. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. You know? <laughs> I bet you are. <laughs> Coming in right get down. Get tired of it. To, yeah, it's getting to be a fun, fun <laughs> trend here. All right. Anyway, that leads us up here to our first thing, and that is the fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from the uh, Federal Reserve Bank of New York, and the uh, the fact is is that 44 million Americans owe about 1.4 trillion with a T trillion dollars in student loans as of June the 30th of this year. It's a 140 percent increase uh, in just the last 10 years, so it's increased by 820 billion dollars. It really is a crisis. Yeah, um, it, it's crazy. We talked about that last week, and uh, we talk about it frequently about how to manage that process. And there are ways that you can go through college and not pay any, have any debt coming out. Yeah, it's not uncommon for us to to sit down with people and they have fifty, even a hundred thousand dollars of student loan debt, and uh, that's a huge hurdle when you get out of college. 
to have to pay back. And this money never goes away. You know, I mean, you can declare bankruptcy or whatever, unless you're in one of these forgiveness programs where you're serving in the public sector for 10 years and and have it uh, forgiven that way um, through your employer. Uh, it doesn't go away. It sticks with you till you pay it off. So, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta take it real seriously and make sure when you get an education that you, that you're using some sense, some common sense about whether you take out student loans and whether it's an effective education where you'll be able to pay back those student loans. So be careful. Yeah. And just one note, if you know of, um, a group, uh, um, you know, high school group, college group, when I, I guess you could do, still do college at this point, but going into to college, doing some planning, we have a lot of good useful information. If you know of a um, high school group that uh, you think it would be beneficial for us to come and talk with, we'll be more than happy to share that knowledge and kind of some other strategies as well. Absolutely. Yep. And that leads up to our first topic here, and that is the seven retirement myths. Um, this is based on a article out of U.S. News and, uh, and Analysis, Business News, Associated Press, um, a while ago. And, you know, but John, I mean, no matter how many years you are from calling it quits, it's essential to have some kind of plan in mind for retirement. Um, you got to know how you're going to finance it. The days of counting on Uncle Sam and a company pension plan to carry you through old age, they're long gone. I mean, we're living in the increasingly yo-yo economy, which is short for you're on your own. <laughs> you on your own, bud. I mean, <laughs> exactly. You know, but it's easy to get fooled by some of the many myths that are out there about retirement planning that exist on the Internet and misguided advice that you hear along the way by well-meaning family or friends. And heeding bad tips, they could cost you in the future whenever you can least afford it. So here are some of the common myths about retirement planning and the truths behind them. And yeah, number one here is it's okay to postpone saving for retirement until other needs and wants are taken care of. And I must put a caveat in this. We're big believers in, you know, paying off debt, following the, the Ramsey process and sure. also getting an emergency fund. But don't fall into the trap the thinking it's going to be easier to save for retirement in, in a few more years. You know, there's going to be a lot of uh, things that are competing for your money, college, weddings, you know, homes, kids. Um, you know, every year you delay means that you need to save more in order to get on track because of the time value and the, uh, you know, the interest associated with that. So the best time to start saving for retirement is when you're 22 years old. And the second best time is right now. Right now. <laughs> exactly. And you got to get that match in your 401k plan. Even if you're paying off other debts, you need to put enough in to get your match. So you, you got to be able to, you know, you got to be able to multitask. You better carry two balls at one time here. Um, the myth number two, though, is that Medicare will take care of almost all of your health needs. Um, yeah, that's not necessarily true. You know, Medicare covers about half of all health care costs for those that are enrolled in the program. And, you know, it starts when you're age 65, of course. So these are retirement folks. And, you know, for the rest of us, uh, for the rest of your cost, yes, you're on your own. And that means that you're on the hook for the out-of-pocket cost for uncovered services such as long-term health care, um, as well as dental, hearing, eye care, along with supplemental insurance costs. A 65-year-old couple retiring uh, currently, they're estimated to need about $240,000 to cover medical expenses throughout retirement. And according to a study of retiree health care costs by Fidelity, um, you know, that's that's going to mostly come in your final years of retirement. So you 
you got to be prepared for that and you got to have a plan for how to cover medical costs in retirement. The myth number three is you'll need far less income in retirement to maintain the same standard of living. Well, that may be true in some cases, but it could be a life-changing mistake to count on it. Surveys of retirees have found that many spend as much or more in the early years of retirement than they did before they retired. And that's because retirement spending habits, they vary widely, you know, and many financial advisors, they kind of frown on the traditional rule of 70 to 80 percent of your pre-retirement income to maintain your lifestyle because it is different for every person. You have to look at your individual situation and find out exactly what it's going to be. You can't just give a you know bad guesstimate, if you will. Um, <clears throat> you may quickly find yourself looking, you know, for work, and that's not something a place you want to be in retirement. So you may not need a hundred percent of your early retire of your earlier income before retirement. Um, but you have to take some time to analyze it, look at your real budget, see what's going to change in retirement. Make sure you have a plan. You're likely going to do, want to do more planning and, and, you know, during the go-go years, the first 10 years of retirement. And so, you know, you want some extra money to do that. So plan on a proper retirement budget. Yeah. And myth number four here is that you can claim Social Security early and still get benefits, uh, full benefits later. And, you know, you can apply for, um, you know, benefits at 62 and you'll start getting monthly checks. But when you claim early, your benefits will be about 30% less than if you had waited until your full retirement age, which is around 66 or 67, and about 70% less if you're able to hold off until age 70. And that really remains the biggest misunderstanding among people um, using uh, the AARP Social Security Q&A tool. This myth is not only so wrong, but it's also dangerous, um, is what uh, Jean Setsvin says. She's with the AARP. When consumers claim their Social Security benefits, they lock in those benefits for life, and you can't change them. Yeah, claiming early may still be the right move for some people, such as those with, you know, medical issues or family history. Um, you know, and if you need it, obviously, when you retire to, to make ends meet, then you have to claim early. But you got to have that built into the plan. You got to have a retirement plan that has your Social Security built in. And you know the difference between claiming early and claiming a few years later. And look at those differences and make a judgment call of whether it's worth it to have a higher you know, income for life um, goes up about seven or eight percent per year that you delay. So you want to make sure that you take advantage of that, if at all possible. Um, myth number five here, John, is that you should rely heavily on fixed income and bonds rather than stocks as you get older. Um, you know, that that common advice made sense when retirements were shorter and inflation didn't have as much time to erode your savings. You know, also when interest rates were higher, you know, back in the early 90s, you know, you could get six, seven percent on fixed income. That hasn't been the case over the last 10 years. So, you know, planning on a 30 year retirement um, as you know, as you should know by now, um, that changes your thinking, you know, so. The fact that the outlook for the Treasury bonds isn't very bright, you know, and and the government's loaded with debt in the future um, and you have future inflation fears as well. You know, that all has to weigh into the fact that um, you got to figure out what percentage of investment should be kept in stock in general. um, You know, we would suggest 50 percent or more, 50 to 60 percent maybe in equities even during retirement so that you can make enough return to stay ahead of inflation 
and generate the income that you need so you can draw out maybe 4% uh, throughout retirement while growing that a little bit each year for inflation. So, uh, yeah, definitely uh, you can't be all in fixed income. you got to think about this and, and, again, do a great retirement plan that takes all this into account. Yeah, n- myth number six here is, um, you know, any retirement target date fund will allow you to set it and forget it. And it's true that target date funds, they're an appealing option for 401ks and some other retirement plans. The funds automatically adjust to a more conservative asset mix as you approach retirement and the fund's target date, but they can also give consumers a false sense of security and really lull you know, too many into ignoring their savings. And you know, target date funds are all different. They have different allocations based on the company. Some of them have more in fixed income than others. Um, most of them don't have much in small stocks. And so there's a lot of different varieties. They're not all made the same. So if you choose that, you need to understand what you're getting into, and you probably need to make some adjustments over time. Yeah, and they're not as diversified as some people think. Um, they, they vary widely. A review by the the SEC showed that target date funds from the same year had as little as 25% or as much as 65% in stocks um, for the same target year. So, you know, there's a huge disparity between target date funds. You, you have to figure out what yours is and understand the glide path, you know, and how the allocation changes over time and how much and when it turns to the most conservative and whether you're going to pay more in fees than a similar, you know, target date fund somewhere else. So understand what your target date fund is doing and figure out whether it's appropriate for what you're trying to accomplish. Don't just blindly go into it and assume that it's it's going to be perfect. And then myth number seven is you'll be able to make up a saving shortfall by retiring later or working part-time in retirement. You know, that's a hope of, or, a, or a last resort. It's not a plan. So it's unwise to rely on future circumstances in your 60s or beyond, um, you know, thinking that you know how that's going to turn out. I mean, 40% of retirees surveyed by a recent study said that they were forced to stop working earlier than they had planned, citing health reasons. Um, or having to care for a spouse or a family member or were laid off. So, you know, even a job loss well before retirement can be tough to recover from. People 55 and older currently spend an average of more than 13 months on unemployment, according to the AARP, um, nearly five months longer than younger job seekers. So don't take it for granted that you'll be able to find work um, in retirement or that you'll be able to work part-time or maybe go back to work, um, you know, after you retire. So, again, you need to have a plan for when you retire that you you stay retired and don't work at all and make sure that plan works. And then you can always, you know, pull a part-time job on, put a part-time job on top of that if the need arises and the opportunity arises, but don't count on it. Mm -hmm. So that's the point there. Good advice. All right, and that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this came from a, a meeting I had recently. Um, should I be saving in an IRA if I have credit card debt and no emergency fund? And, um, you know, all these questions are really dependent on the individual. Um, this individual had a very large 
pension um, that is uh, going to be coming in very shortly and has done a pretty good job saving. So they they really need to get the the credit card debt paid off and they need an emergency fund. So funneling some of that money that they're saving for retirement is probably going to be better served in those other two categories because they've done a right. good job in the retirement side of it. So already, yeah. yeah. So I mean, all these are all these questions really are dependent. I mean, we don't have all the facts. I did because I I talked with this person, but um, right. You know, generally going into retirement, we like to see you have no debt. Um, we like to see you have emergency funds, some cash built up, and um, you know that all really plays into a nice retirement when you have, particularly when you have a pension as well. Yeah, as a general rule of thumb, we like to see you have an emergency fund before you start, you know, saving an IRA and start, you know, paying off the credit cards. I mean, you know, uh, Dave Ramsey's baby step number one is right to get a thousand dollars in emergency fund, just right. a baby emergency fund, you know, and then later you get a proper emergency fund with three to six months of worth of expenses in it. Um, so those are kind of the order of things, but it all depends on your situation. Everybody's situation is a little bit different. So, you know, give us a call if we can give you advice on that. So, uh, all right. And that leads us up to our next topic is, and that is where will the next crisis come from? Gee, John, not a very pleasant topic. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's good to talk about these things though, cause it kind of puts things in perspective. We do have crises that come uh, occasionally and we just need to understand that they're not very frequent, first of all. And, uh, we're going to dispel some myths here. This came from uh, Jeffrey Kleintop with Swab. And, uh, you know, Steve, it's been 10 years. We're coming up on the 10-year anniversary of the U.S. financial shock that really turned into a crisis, um, you know, in the markets and the economic system. And on September the 15th of 2008, Lehman Brothers filed for bankruptcy. And that company had been around for over 100 years. Wow. And it really sent shockwaves from uh, subprime mortgages, uh, rocked um, the entire system and shattered confidence. And it re- really led to a, a big recession. And, you know, regularly paying attention to financial news reveals one thing for certain shocks to the global system. They happen all the time. And many of these shocks, they're basically absorbed by the system without any much disruption. I mean, you look recently and there's been a lot of clamoring about the um, the geopolitical tensions between U.S. and North Korea and, you know, the U.S. Fed beginning to reverse, you know, quantitative easing and the the rapid unwinding of the short-term volatility trade that took place earlier this year. There's some technical things, but you always see things in the news media that, um, you know, are concerning, but rarely do they turn into crises. And, yeah, um, that's exactly right. They know, usually don't turn out the way the way people think they are. Um, yeah, a shock, you know, it turns into a crisis when the system is unprepared for it, you know, and the system is often at its most vulnerable near the end of a global economic cycle, um, when excesses have built up and, you know, managing risk have been neglected. Um, and since we have likely reached the latter stages of kind of an economic cycle here, um, you know, now is a good time to assess whether the system is prepared for the shocks that lie ahead and, and you know, where the biggest vulnerabilities lie. So we're going to take a look at some of these potential shocks to the system that that you hear touted in the news. Yeah, and like we mentioned, there have been hundreds of shocks and and very relatively few, you know, turn into a crisis that have hit stocks. And, you know, it seems like we're better prepared for some shocks. The global economic, financial, and market system really now seem better prepared to manage a lot of the shocks of the past. Um, you know, were they to repeat in the future? And that's thanks to a couple of factors here. We're just going to jump right into it. First of all, stable energy supplies. Um, 
you know, that's a very, very important piece of it. Yeah, that's right. You know, a frequent source of shocks to the system have been the vulnerability in the past to the abrupt shifts in oil supply. Um, you know, the, uh, 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 the Arab oil embargo in 1973, Iraq's invasion of Kuwait in 1990, U.S. shell oil boom, you know, in 2014 and 15. Each of those led to big moves in the price of oil up or down. And I also think about 2007 when, mm-hmm. you know, the price of gas hit like uh, $3.30 a gallon here locally. Um, you know, I mean, oil re- hit like $150 a barrel. Uh, those are big shocks to the system, but we we have very stable energy prices right now, um, and we have more we have a lot more supply than we ever thought we would have at I this think, point. Yeah, we have control over you know the that's production right. and the price. It helps the pricing associated with it. So that's certainly a positive. Another positive is low inflation. Inflation certainly remains low and well-contained on a global basis. I mean, markets reflect a really a high degree of confidence in central banks to stay ahead of the curve on inflation based on some of the forecasts that we see. And, you know, this mark marks really a stark contrast to some of the soaring inflation that we saw in, in many countries in 1970. In the 70s, the central banks got behind the curve on inflation. Now, that's not – we're leaving out Venezuela out of that conversation. Remember, we <laughs> talked right. about that last week with the uh, – the inflation of a million percent there, but uh, inflation is generally tame and controlled right now, and that can certainly cause shocks in the system. Another one is um, is circuit breakers. The so-called circuit breakers, um, you know, would have made the stock market less vulnerable back in 1987. If people don't remember October the 19th of 1987, the the Dow Jones, <coughs> excuse me, industrial average dropped about 23 percent. It's about in 500 one, points. Yeah, one day. One day. The biggest, yeah, one yeah. biggest one-day decline in history. And a similar one-day drop today, if you did 23%, would be almost 6,000 points. That'd be a big drop. Uh, yeah, that would, uh, yes, that that'd would be you, big. That'd get your, your attention. attention. No yeah, doubt. No doubt. Yeah, fortunately, we haven't seen those kind of moves and, and you know, since then. Um, nowhere close. Um, a few fixed exchange rates um, is another potential shock to the system. Yeah, the fixed exchange rate regimes that the Fed uh, had in 1998, the Asian currency crisis, uh, have all but completely vanished. You know, um, a majority difference between the Asian crisis of 1998 and today is that emerging markets, they now have floating floating exchange rates rather than fixed exchange rates. And that limits the vulnerability to the big shocks to the system if something gets changed there because the the rate varies every single day and it's market driven not set by some government or some institution yeah and uh, another positive is uh, valuations of stocks uh, are don't appear to be at, at extremes and on balance those valuations are a little bit above average um you know it's typical by an extended period of growth but they're not really at extremes there's certain certainly nowhere uh, close to where we saw them in, in the 2000s. And extreme valuations make the market vulnerable to a shock in the form of missing missing lofty expectations. And both the higher level of valuations and the number of industries that had extreme valuations in 2000 compared to today is, is not even comparable. Um, 2000s were... I mean, that's the tech bubble that um, right. was, just, was off the charts. Now, I will say there are some companies out there, individual companies now in the technology that have valuations that are at the extreme levels, but the whole industry sure. as a whole is not. No, it's nowhere where it was like in 
March of 2000, um, when the NASDAQ had an average PE ratio of over two, 200. Yeah. It was unbelievable. And the S&P averaged like 36. Yeah, and the average in, today in, is 16, roughly. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, so a lot, lot lower, a lot more reasonable valuations. And there's uh, lots of corporate cash is another um, kind of difference today. I mean, companies have a lot of cash relative to history, according to the data compiled by Bloomberg. And so that lack, this lack of vulnerability um, that in the past had led to the need to force sales of assets and, you know, to support companies and core businesses, that may help keep a shock also from developing into a crisis. So that's a strong, you know. Yeah, or, metric. Yep. Yeah. And another one here, stronger banks. I mean, banks generally today are less vulnerable than they were ahead of the 2008-2009 financial crisis. And, um you know, there's been a reduction in risky activities, including some prime mortgage lending. So there's a lot of positives there, Steve. But, you know, there are some increased vulnerability to to the markets. You look at higher debt levels, um, could certainly magnify a shock from higher interest rates. Political fragmentation can uh, can impair, um, you know, a country's ability to respond um, to the markets. So there's a lot of dependence on international sales. That could be vulnerable as well. Um, there's little ammunition left in the form of monetary and fiscal stimulus right now because it's it's being unwound. But um, y- you know, no one knows when the next drop's going to occur. I mean, if you look back at history, the reasons are usually different. Um, the way to get through that is to have a process and a system, have a good risk um, balance, like you said in retirement, right. maybe sixty percent in stocks, forty percent in in bonds. Be very very diversified, and also have a plan. And history shows us that those things together have worked to get through some of these difficulties. And you don't have to be an expert at trying to time the market, which nobody can do. So, That's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, there's there's all kind of risk out there. So we're certainly not saying that the market's going to in a new, you know, new economy. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> you know, but uh, certainly trade wars and all kind of things, as we know, can can create, uh, you know, pull the market down. Um, but, um, there's a lot of those risks are off the table and it could, could go a while, but you have to be prepared for it. You have to be diversified and you have to be prepared to ride out the ups and downs. There will be bear markets ahead and, uh, we all have to be prepared for that. So, but Hey, here's hoping it'll be a while. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And this leads us up to our prescription of the week. Yeah, this prescription has to do with um, how you manage debt, and specifically, you know, not your mortgage per se. You can certainly include that in here, but credit card debt, student loan debt, um, any kind of consumer debt. Um, what we see is really effective for a lot of people is creating a visual reminder. Um, basically, make a giant progress um, bar that starts with the amount of debt that you have and ends with zero. And every time you pay down a little bit, you color it in, kind of like I uh, think about the. Um, the the blood drives or some yeah some yeah. campaign somewhere Big thermometer that's yeah. right that's yeah. right and you you fill it in you keep it in front of you if you have kids you include them in the process um, it's a great teaching opportunity for them but have some visual reminders that keeps that in front of you to encourage you yeah post it on your refrigerator you know or put it on the computer is my most you know, visible place um, but yeah I mean mark off those debts you know maybe list your credit cards if you have credit card debt and you know, put the smallest one first and mark that off and, you know, see the number of obligations decline. That would be very motivating. But, you know, this is all about motivation here. I mean, you want to motivate yourself to keep on the race, to 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 stay in there, to not quit. 
And so a visual reminder is very, very powerful. And Dave Ramsey has a great saying. He's, he's, the saying is, is that you can wander into debt, but you can't wander out. So you have to be really focused, really intentional, write checks on a monthly basis, keep it in front of you, and uh, you can get through it. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a great prescription of the week. And that has been this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions at info at moneymd.net or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Smart Investor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 